Well, has God blessed you this past week? Hopefully, if I asked you, list all the ways God has blessed you, you could come up with a whole number of them, ten or more, easily. Big things, little things. Uh, many times it's the little things. Charles Dickens, of course, writer of the Christmas Carol, uh, he says, reflect upon your present blessings of which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes of which all men have some. But I like his perspective and explains the great works he wrote. The Bible, when we look at it, is rich in blessings. In fact, they're found all through it, from Genesis all the way to the end, the book of Revelation. Jesus will step into his greatest body of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7. He begins that teaching with a series of blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll find mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted. So, blessings, so important. Now, in our text this morning, we're going to go back to 2 Timothy. We'll continue there. We're going to look at the ending verses of chapter 1. And we're going to find two blessings here in these verses. The blessing of truth, and that's going to have three dimensions to it. The blessing of faithfulness, uh, specifically of a faithful friend. Now, Paul doesn't name these as blessings, but I'm going to take them as blessings, and that's why I'm going to view them and, and, and present them. These are things Paul had received that he found valuable and was thankful for. And he is getting ready to pass these blessings on to Timothy. But let's stand and see what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll pick up at verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are uh, Phagellius and Hermogenes, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for blessings that you give us. Uh, every day we can Find your presence, your hand, your goodness upon us. And Lord, help us not to forget those. And Father, we just pray that uh, we would take the blessings here that Paul shares with Timothy. How rich they are. Thank you for them. May we be encouraged. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So it's important for us to learn to recognize God's blessings and, and to be looking for them. 
and then to list them and count them up, as the hymn says. But let's look at fir the first blessing is what I would call the blessing of truth. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, he gives this instruction. He says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. You see, Solomon tells us that truth is so valuable, we should hang on to it and never sell it. Don't, don't give it up. As we look at what Paul says, Paul will tell us that a mark of the wicked is a disregard for the truth. He will write back in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the wicked are destitute of the truth. And here in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, he, he will describe them. They are people who resist the truth. And then in 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells us that those who are perishing because they receive not the love of truth, that they might be saved. So truth is a mark of God's people. So important. Buy it and sell it not. Don't give it up. And we see that this blessing is really a, a, a safeguard that we find is truth. And we need to affirm and hold fast, as Paul says here in verse 13, the form of sound words, sound doctrine, sound teaching. Now, I think there's three dimensions of this truth, this blessing, that we need to hold fast to. There is the truth of Christ. I like the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 6. When Thomas says, we don't know the way, Lord. And remember the answer of Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Notice Jesus did not say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. It's me. He is the truth. Pilate, uh, there at the trial of Jesus, asked him, Art, art thou a king? And, and Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, and to this end I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And then Pilate quips back, What is truth? And he walks off. He was looking and had the truth standing before him. And he did not see it. Jesus is all about truth. I love what John says about Jesus in that opening chapter of his gospel. In that 14th verse where he tells us, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth put together it's interesting you go through the old testament uh, god will often be described as being one of mercy and truth and then here in the gospel of john we see jesus full of grace and truth jesus is the complete opposite of satan and we see that description uh, jesus tells us in john 8 when he's having a uh, fierce exchange with the Jews, those who oppose him, he says to them, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. That is Satan, complete opposite. And Jesus is truth. And we're to hold on to him. The treasure of Christ who is the truth. Don't let it go. There is also the truth of sound words. Doctrine. Hold fast the form of sound words. And it's a blessing to hold fast to God's word. To sound doctrine. It is a blessing to teach sound, sound words. God's word, the Bible. Let, let me say, I count it a privilege every Sunday to come here and preach and teach God's word to faithful people. That is a privilege. Jesus in his great prayer in John 17, he will pray for his disciples and he's also going to pray for us. And one of the things he prays uh, to the Father, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John MacArthur, Dr. John MacArthur makes an interesting observation. He says, much of the professing church is atheological. Atheological. That is without any significant theological convictions. And I think he's right. Uh, he goes on to point out that uh, like many in the world around them, many that claim to wear the name of Christ, they believe that to hold to uh, absolute doctrine, that when we do that, when we hold to absolute doctrine, that is being unloving, antagonistic, and unchristian. That's being atheological. No theological conviction. Uh, these are the people described in chapter 3. Let's look at chapter 4, first of 2 Timothy. In chapter 4, uh, verse 3, uh, Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from, from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Uh, they're also mentioned in chapter 3 of this book. In verse 5. Uh, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Uh, verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, we'll look at those later when we get to those verses. But as Dr. MacArthur says, sound doctrine leads to holy living. And the absence of it leads to unholy living. Uh, so your doctrine, what you uh, believe, your conviction makes a difference. And Paul is saying, hold fast the form of sound words. And we're living in a time that's going to test that. Uh, we're living in a time in which people are really being uh, found out for how much they believe and what they believe. Uh, that word form means a pattern, an architect's sketch. Uh, so there was a definite outline of doctrine in the early church. It was a standard by which all teaching was tested. And as we look to God's word, we have everything we need right here 
for our salvation and for living the saved life. At the end of chapter 3 of this book, uh, Paul points out to Timothy that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So Paul tells Timothy, hold fast the truth of God's word. And then we're to do it in faith and love. As we look in verse 13. In faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is saying we need to take our doctrinal orthodoxy and we need to temper it with faith and love. You know, a lot of people uh, can say, well, I'm going to teach you the truth, and that's just the way it is. And I'm just telling you the truth. And man, they come across really hard. But it's to be tempered with faith and, and, and love. Faith is the right attitude of confidence towards God. Love is holding forth the truth of God's word in love. It's the attitude of kindness and compassion towards unbelievers and towards immature believers. We're to teach this truth. Uh, remember Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, he tells us to sanctify the Lord in our hearts and be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you. And then he says to do it with meekness and fear. Uh, so you just don't hammer people but you do of gentleness and compassion and love. Uh, nobody is ever arm wrestled into heaven. Not going to happen. So, truth to hold fast, the truth of Christ, the truth of God's word. Also, the third dimension we see is truth of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Truth of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Thomas Leah, he says, the task of preserving the truth of the gospel is so demanding and difficult that human strength alone cannot assure it. Maintaining the purity of the gospel demands the might and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I think he's right. And the Holy Spirit does. He protects God's word. He keeps it pure. And one of the key teachings of the New Testament is that Every believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit if you believe in Christ. That is so vital. You see, the Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation. It is not a second experience. 
It is not something that takes place later. When you're saved, we, you have the Holy Spirit. And He never leaves us. We are stuck with Him and He is stuck with us. That's the deal. And He plays such a vital role. Uh, let's go back to John's Gospel. John chapter 14. Let's see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse uh, 15. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Spirit of truth. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, he will send unto you, uh, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And then in chapter 16, verse 13. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, there's that title again, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show that you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So, there it is. Important truths that are blessings. The truth of Christ, the truth of his word, and the truth of his Holy Spirit. And Paul as an aging apostle. Sensing his time is short. Knowing his execution is coming quickly by Nero. He says to Timothy. Hold fast. These things. These blessings I've known. That I've taught you. Hold fast. Take them up. And he passes them on to Timothy. Now, the second blessing I see in these verses is the blessing of faithfulness, specifically a faithful friend. We look at verse uh, 15, uh, back in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Now, if I was to ask you, why do you come to church? 
you would probably have a number of reasons why you come to church. Uh, I have a number of reasons I come to church too. One of them is I come to get encouraged. That's one of the reasons I come. And, and we have some great encouragers in our church that really make a big difference. And, and, and I walk away many Sundays, uh, many Wednesday evenings, being encouraged by fellowship with you. It does that. I'm grateful for our encouragers. Uh, William Barclay, in his commentary, the letter uh, to the Hebrews, he says, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It's easy to laugh at men's ideals, easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It's easy to discourage others. And so much of that is done. He goes on to say, the world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time, a, a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. Uh, I agree with uh, William Barclay completely. What a blessing. Now, Paul encouraged many. But he was also discouraged by some others. And we see that in verse 15. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Uh, it was a dark time for Paul. Sitting in a Roman prison, sensing his execution coming closer. Uh, later in chapter 4, we see that Demas ran off. And then here in chapter 1, uh, we see that uh, many in Asia turned away from Paul. And then he mentions two men, two men, uh, specifically but these people they were ashamed of Paul because they were ashamed of the gospel he preached and defended and they became even more ashamed and did not want to identify with him when he was put in prison for his faith uh, these are what I would call fair weather Christians they're around when the times are good and health and wealth and prosperity but when things got tough persecution they disappeared you know, it's bad enough to be rejected by the world but to have fellow believers do that that's painful and Paul felt that a and among the deserters two men are named we know nothing about them except one fact they are cowards that's it. How would we like our name written in the Bible for a deserting the Apostle Paul? Shameful indeed. Uh, the wording turned away. Some translations put it deserted. It's the same word used in chapter 4, verse 4. 
Well, they, where it says they shall turn away their ears from the truth. It's used in Titus chapter 1 verse 14. Uh, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. <coughs> so the word turning away, it speaks of a doctrinal apostasy. So these were people that took Paul's teaching, the teaching of the gospel, and they deliberately chose to walk away from the gospel. That's what they did. They turned away. And we're seeing that. We are seeing Christians turn away from the teaching of the gospel. And going for other things that are easier. Now in contrast, uh, we find a faithful servant who encouraged Paul on this for us. We see him in verses 16 through 18. His name means bringing advantage. And he did that for Paul. Uh, Dr. Lockyer says of Onesiphorus, he says, from the description Paul gives us of Onesiphorus, he must have been a lovely character. What can we learn from him? Onesiphorus uh, was a great encourager. And, and Dr. Lockyer br brings out a number of things about him. I, I draw from that. We, we look at this man and we see that he was repeatedly kind. Notice what Paul says, verse 16. For he oft refreshed me. Uh, that word refreshed means to make cool again. That's what it literally means. And, and that could be literal. Uh, he, here's Paul in prison. Onesiphorus, he may have brought him fresh fruit and, and, and something to drink. For he oft refreshed me. It's kind of like being outside and working hard under the hot sun and, and, and then stepping into an air-conditioned house with a glass of cold iced tea. He refreshed me to make cool again. It could also include the thought that his presence refreshed the spirit of Paul. And some people are like that. That, uh, I mean, when, you're, when we're in their presence, they just kind of refresh you. They kind of just cheer you up. They're, they're pleasant to be around. And, and I think this, this verse was like that. And I, th I think we need to do both. Let us refresh others. Physically, practically. Uh, help them carry their burden, lighten their load, whatever it may be, for a moment. Uh, refresh their spirit by our presence. Have accounts of joy and hope that encourage them. Uh, and if you notice, it wasn't a one-time thing. It was repeatedly. He oft refreshed me. He did it many times. It was an ongoing labor of encouragement. 
that this man did. Not just a one-time wonder thing. Uh, you know, I look back and, and every month we refresh the people of this community with our food pantry. And we have done that for 70 months. It is not a one-time thing. Good works never are. They are to be ongoing. Stay with it. Find ways to refresh others. We also see that Onesiphorus associated himself with Paul's suffering. Paul goes on to say that he was not ashamed of my chain. Now many were. And they walked away from Paul. Ashamed of him. But not Onesiphorus. He ran towards Paul. Uh, Lockyer, I like what he says. He says, many of God's best servants have chains of sorrow and affliction. Let us not shrink from helping them. Let us run to them. Uh, let's be like that father of the prodigal son. When that son came back, the father ran to him and encouraged him. Put the best robe on him. I like the Yiddish proverb. It says, friends are needed both for joy and and for sorrow. Be that friend in the tough times and in the good times. And then we see he made it his business to find Paul. Verse 17. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Now, apparently Paul could not easily be found. Uh, he's being held up in some prison Roman cell. Rome's a big city. You didn't have Google Maps or anything like that. He had to search Paul out. Uh, and, and who knows? Uh, he might have had to go through a series of steps and just to get access to Paul. Diligently. That shows, that word signifies haste. He didn't fool around. He didn't delay. He went quickly to find Paul. And it also tells us he went beyond the call of duty. A lot of people would have given up. Well, I tried and wandered around for about 15 minutes, couldn't find Paul, so that was it. But not on this for us. He stayed with it. And this is what we're going to find. People in trial must be sought out with diligence. Go quickly. Don't give up. Find them and refresh them. And, and many times, uh, people like that, uh, they not, may not be held in prison, but sometimes they'll just kind of hole up. And we kind of have to go find them and dig them out. And give them encouragement. Uh, appreciate those of you that have seen my dad. I mean, you have to travel out to Pulse Falls. Go into life care there. If you go through the main door, you kind of wander through a, ma a major complex. Um, you have to be diligent to find him. And we appreciate that. But uh, encouraging others will be like that. And then we see uh, Nifsaris received a blessing. 
Paul was not able to reward him, but Jesus could. And he says, uh, verse 16, The Lord have mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Verse 18, The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. Blessing for his house and mercy for him personally. There's a blessing. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about separating the sheep and the goats. And he talks about that separation being based on how they treated others. How they gave the drink of water, provided the food, gave the clothing, visited the sick or those in prison. And Jesus said uh, to those who did that, Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye have done it unto the one to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me. And what we fail to do, we fail to do to Jesus. And what we do to others, we do to Jesus. When we stand with a deserted brother, we are standing with Christ. When we refresh a weary brother, we refresh Christ. When we are not ashamed of a fellow believer, we are not ashamed of Christ. So valuable are these. I thought uh, yesterday, uh, how am I going to end this? Came home last night and uh, kids were watching uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Now you older adults, I, I hope you guys have read that. Read Tolkien's works. Magnificent. Go watch the movie. And I think probably a lot of our younger adults are familiar. But, but the one scene that really stood out to me is, uh, of course, if you know the story of a hobbit, uh, Bilbo Baggins, how he is on a journey with a bunch of dwarves to go get their home and treasure back and to stand against evil. How Gandalf the wizard goes with them. Uh, they arrive to the home of the elves, Rivendell, and their Gandalf, the, their guide, their wizard, uh, they have a council that takes place in the movie uh, with uh, the leader of the elves. He's there. Uh, Saruman, who's later going to go over to the dark side. He's there. And then we also see that the lady of Lorraine, uh, Gal Galadriel, uh, she is there. And they have a council of what's taking place. They, they sense that there is a growing evil and, and something is, is taking place. And uh, everyone leaves, but just Gandalf and the Lady of Lorraine are standing there. And she asks him the question, uh, in, in such an epic journey, she says, why the halfling? Why a, a, a hobbit? I mean, these guys don't like to adventure. They like to stay home. They like to read their books. They like to have their meals, their second breakfast. Uh, they don't like to take up swords. Why the halfling? 
And I love Gandalf's answer. He says, I found that it's in the small things. He says, Solomon believes that it takes a great power to keep evil at bay. But he says, I have found it in the small things, the everyday deeds of the ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. And that's why Bilbo Baggins, the halfling. I think God looks at us, ordinary people, a bunch of nobodies. Most of the world has never heard of any of us. But God knows us. And those deeds that we do like Onisphorus are profound. They were profound for Paul at a critical moment. God's greatest apostle and a humble man served Paul. May we be the same. We'll bring our team back up. This is our invitation. I have decided to follow Jesus. Is God calling you to do that? To be part of his family? To be his servants? You come as we sing. I have decided. Let's stand as we sing.